Travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Lao, a landlocked country sandwiched between Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, and China, is a bit unknown, sleepy, and largely undiscovered by travelers. Many know of the former royal capital, Luang Prabang, and have heard of the capital, Vientiane, but beyond that, it's largely a mystery. But that can be good news for visitors, as outside of those spots, it's mostly void of tourists, teeming with locals and largely off the traditional travel grid. On this episode, we welcome back writer Nick Ray for his third appearance on the show to share the magic of Lao and his work crafting the 10th edition of the Lonely Planet Lao Guidebook, which came out in June 2020. From Bangkok, Thailand, I'm Scott Coates, and guess who's with me? Hey, I don't know. Who's with you, Scott? Who are you? Trevor Ranges. Yeah, Trevor here in Phnom Penh. Uh, yeah, I get to... Good to do another episode with you, Scott. I'm looking forward to this one. We're going to talk about Lao with Nick today, and... Uh, I always enjoy speaking with some of my favorite destinations with people who know it well. So uh, I'm really looking forward to, to this one. Have you spent much time up in Laos? You know, I have over the years. I've been to Luang Prabang, I think, three times. Vientiane, maybe three times. Sipandon and Wat Pu in the south, we did an episode. But yeah, yeah I feel like I really haven't seen much of it, and I haven't. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. When was your first time to Laos, Trevor? Um, I went in 2002 for the first time, me and my ex uh, Nat, Nat and I went to Vientiane for a weekend or something like that. And, you, you know, I remember a little bit about the city on that first visit, but then, you know, I went back to Laos almost like every year for at least 10 years. And most of the time I'd go up to Luang Prabang. Um, and, and I just love that country so much. So like my earliest trip, I don't remember as clearly as those early trips to Luang Prabang, but, uh, you know, I was kind of hooked. I really love the Lao people. Um, I was really surprised how much I liked Lao textiles. Hmm. Um, you know, up in Luang Prabang has like a kind of famous night market. But I think in like 2002, 2003, the night market was still like uh, like an extension cord run from wherever there was electricity at the end of the street. Okay. Right down the middle of the road. And then everybody kind of plugged in like screw in light bulbs off of the, this extension cord that was jimmied to, to have everybody have light. And then people just set up mats there on the on their ground and they sold all these amazing textiles hmm. and uh you could just sit there and look through textiles for like 30 40 minutes just talking to some local Lao lady who who made them and then uh and then i you know i invariably i bought a lot of textiles scarves and wall hangings and whatnot but even if you didn't buy them i remembered like they were just so happy that you spent the time to look at their textiles. They were so friendly. And, and I was just like, right away, I was just like, this is a really special place. Yeah, that's neat. I think I went there in April 2000. So still within my first yeah. calendar year living in Thailand. And two of my friends from Calgary, Canada came, Darren and Amanda. And we took the slow boat from Shengkong in Thailand uh, over two days, one night. You stop somewhere along the way and kind of overnight. And yeah, back then, I remember Luang Prabang on the, you know, the main little peninsula a bit had all dirt roads super sleepy yeah then we took a way too fast bus through the day from Luang Prabang to the capital to Vientiane and that yeah was that's a crazy ride terrifying at that time but beautiful scenery 
And yeah, I've been back to Luang Prabang a couple other times. I ran a half marathon there in uh, 2019 and of course made it to Sipandon, which to me was one of the neater places I've been in Southeast Asia in years down there. That was really great. But there's lots I'd still like to explore there. And it, it is a special, sleepy place that, yeah, it's almost seems a little forgotten. And I think it is in a sense because, you know, it's sandwiched between Thailand as this massive tourist destination. Vietnam's getting pretty big. A lot of people, what, 5 million or so go to Siem Reap for the temples of Angkor every year. But Laos just kind of gets skipped over a wee bit, doesn't it? Yeah, I think again, and this is interesting, we're going to talk to, to Nick, and he's written a guidebook about this. You know, like people have these visions of what they think Chiang Mai is, or I think it's similar in like with Ubud and Bali as these kind of like mystical, beautiful, magical, mountainous places, you know? Mm -hmm. And then like, and, and Laos has that in spades, you know, like that's what Laos is, right? It's just these magical mountains and this beautiful scenery. And I think that people often go looking in, in Thailand and elsewhere for this kind of magic and, and they don't even realize that like it's in Laos because you took that you took the that bus from Luang Prabang to Vientiane so you didn't stay in Vang Vieng no I've never been but I sure have wanted to go you would have driven right through there but but again like it, it turned into this super crazy famous backpacker place with like tubing and stuff like that and I was there in some of those early days and it was pretty crazy but but at the same time it's just spectacularly beautiful I mean just this this countryside with these mountains and, and the river it, it's it waterfalls and and then everywhere you go you just meet like the nicest friendliest people they're like the they're like the Kiwis. I always thought of Laos as like a, a, the New Zealand of Southeast Asia or something like that. And uh, yeah, just for its beauty and, and, and the friendly people. It's a good analogy, you know? Yeah, it, it sure is mysterious. And I've heard lots of people say this. It's been written in articles and books. But yeah, I think if anybody was trying to probably get that 30 years ago backpacker Thailand experience, that, that picture they would have in their head, you could probably, by venturing out of any of the major places we've just mentioned, like by one hour and, and be in that world. Yeah. Yeah. So just before yeah. we get further into it, um, Trevor and I, we do this show because we love it. And it actually costs us money. We lose money making this, but we need you to help and show us your financial love. You can go to patreon.com, search Talk Travel Asia, and you can help us out from as little as a dollar a month up. But every two weeks, we have little things for patrons only that could be short videos, little 10-minute conversations Trevor and I will have. Actually, we shared one last week about my cycling in northern Thailand. And yeah, so get on board. Be a part of it. We'd really appreciate it. And also, what else can people do to really help us grow, Trevor? Yeah, if you could just take a moment right now, even if you press pause, just go down to the bottom and give us a rating and possibly even a review. Uh, otherwise, you can go to our website, TalkTravelAsia.com, and we'll have show notes there, Google Maps of all the places that Nick is going to talk about. And uh, and then you can donate with uh, Patreon there or follow any of our social media accounts. Uh, okay, well, enough of you and I. Let's get to the expert. Our guest today, Nick Ray, is about as well-versed in Southeast Asia as one could be. He's the longtime author of The Lonely Planet Cambodia, Myanmar, and Laos Guidebooks, among others. In addition, he helps run a travel company, Hanuman Travel, based in Cambodia with his wife and team, as well as working as a fixer with their other business, Hanuman Films. He's sitting beside me in Phnom Penh, Cambodia today. Welcome back to the show, Nick. Thanks very much, Trevor. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so Nick's been on the show a few times, and uh, as usual, on the show notes, we'll have links to the other episodes that he's been on. Otherwise, for listeners who aren't familiar with you, Nick, can you give us a real quick background of how you ended up writing about travel and or living in Cambodia? Wow, yes. Um, I first came to Southeast Asia as a backpacker after university in the mid-1990s and uh, traveled all over Southeast Asia for about six months. 
And at that time, the highlight countries really were those of Indochina, Cambodia, Laos and Vietnam, I think because they were not long coming out of communism and, you know, being discovered as new destinations. And so for me, they felt very real and very different. And I came to Cambodia initially for a week ended up staying three weeks and then found myself being drawn back here time and time Familiar again. Familiar story, isn't Familiar it? story, uh, the magnetic pull of Cambodia. Mm. And then uh, basically gradually found myself spending more time here. And then I began doing uh, the Lonely Planet, the Cambodia chapter of Southeast Asia and the mm. Cambodia Guide. And then that led me to meeting, meeting my wife, Kulika. And before I knew it, I was living here. Wow. Okay. And how long have you been in Cambodia now then? I suppose living here, it's around... 20 years perhaps so yeah I think I first I mean I was doing the first guidebooks in 98 99 uh, but I was still doing things in the UK and Africa and elsewhere but I think yeah in terms of sort of really putting a footprint in the country properly I would say it was around 2000 2001. Hey Nick uh, Scott obviously in Bangkok we're close we're next to each other country-wise but not quite managing to meet up as three people but thanks for joining Trevor and us. I always think back to the first time I went to these interesting countries were, were surrounded by and living in. When was the first time you went to Laos and what were some of those initial impressions whenever that was? Yeah, I mean, that was incredible. I went to Laos for the first time in, it was September 1995, part of that long backpacking trip that first brought me to Southeast Asia. So I crossed over from uh, Nong Kai on the, you know, the friendship bridge there into mm-hmm. Vientiane. And, you know, it was it was a world away from what I'd experienced before that because Laos came before Vietnam and Cambodia in my circuit. So I'd basically been in Malaysia, Indonesia, Singapore and Thailand, all of which are fantastic countries in themselves, but they are quite developed, quite evolved, and they already had sophisticated tourism. Laos in the mid-90s, <laughs> it was a very different place. So we ended up, um, you know, three young backpackers, uh, mainly looking for fun and beer and, and cultural experiences where we could find them in combination. But um, we went up to um, Luang Prabang in a tiny 12-seater, you know, Russian plane, wow. which kind of belched out that, that cold, cold air, like dry ice, and you kind of panicked. Um, Luang Prabang was, was very empty then. I think we counted about 10 other travelers, uh, mainly older French travelers, because it was the wet season, September. Um, we saw the Quangxi Falls, you know, we, there were very few restaurants and guest houses back then. I think we stayed in the Rama Inn, which had a traditional dark disco downstairs where we did the Lambong <laughs> and danced around in circles. Um, and we spent rather too much time in Vientiane because of, uh, cold draft beer Lao on the Mekong. And that was when the Mixe bar was still open. This sort of, ramshackle old wooden bar built on stilts over the river where you had Soviet diplomats, you know, American USAID people, Cuban missionaries, yeah, everything, you know, Mm. it was one of those kind of classic crossroads of Southeast Asia. Incredible. That must have been something to go in 96. Yeah, I first went in 2001 or so. Yeah, it was. It was very different. And I kept going back. I mean, like others, I was drawn back there. So I went back in 96 uh, for a subsequent trip. And on that trip, I went up to Vang Vieng on a little Honda Dream and drove up there. And that was when Vang Vieng, believe it or not, had one guest house. Wow. So we stayed in this one solitary guest house, which was kind of a, you know, bit of a rundown place. I think there were a couple of Korean tourists there, strangely. And, you know, it's hard to reconcile that with what you see now but of course still a very beautiful place incredible and you know what i realized nick it's very appropriate having you on talking about lao because trevor and i have had a few episodes dream travel destinations and two years ago i got to sipandon or four thousand islands in the south of lao and you were the first person 
to recommend that to me. And it was on my want to go for about 10 years because subsequently more people mentioned it, but you were the first guy to put 4,000 islands in Southern Lao in my head. So thank you. No, well, no problem. I mean, that is a great destination. I mean, it's so laid back, the lifestyle of the islands. And then you've got, you know, the, the, the falls of the Mekong there. I just, yeah, I mean, for me, you just, those kind of places, they're very beautiful, very atmospheric. You've got things like the dolphins and then you've got, yeah, the Khmer vestiges not far from there. It's just amazing place. Mm. Yeah. Um, I want to back up here a little bit just because maybe some of our listeners aren't too familiar with Laos. And again, like you mentioned, uh, Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand are pretty much like the, the most famous destinations here in Southeast Asia, but not that many people probably go to Laos relative to these other countries. And it's one of my favorite places in, in the region, without a doubt. But could you maybe just give us a little bit more of an overview of the country and, and what makes it what it is? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the thing with Laos, obviously, it's a landlocked country surrounded by bigger neighbors. You know, you've got the economic influence of China, the political influence of Vietnam, the cultural influence of Thailand. So it really is this kind of crossroads, very small population of only 7 million and very diverse, many different linguistic minority groups, uh, lowland, midland, highland Lao. Um, I mean, the north is famous for Luang Prabang, the cultural destination and the sort of uh, the spiritual capital of the country. And then it's very mountainous, you know, endless mountains, very good trekking country, stunning ecotourism, including award winning destinations like the Nam, the, the, uh, Nam Nyum Night Safari. No, the Nam something. <laughs> We'll get that on the show notes. Um, but then, you know, central Laos is famous for its incredible cast, you know, formations and caves. And you've got that amazing river cave, Tam, Tam Kong Lo. And then southern Laos, as we already mentioned, you have vestiges of the Khmer Empire, which used to occupy those those areas. You've got the Sipandon, 4,000 islands. You've got the Mekong. So I think, yeah, Laos, you know, it's really, a, it's kind of a exceptional ecotourism destination. And it also has a rich culture. And also, of course, for fans of food and cuisine, you know, rather like Thailand, like Vietnam, like Cambodia, has excellent food. Yeah, we mentioned that on a recent episode where we did hidden gems. And, and the Lao food is one of my hidden gems of the region. Just mm. it's underappreciated, but amazingly good. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, it really is because, again, it's this kind of thing that Laos and Cambodia, their food sort of somehow missed because you've got these two giants of global cuisine either side, Thailand and Vietnam. Before I can go any further, Nick, I've always been confused. Is it Laos or Lao when you say it? <laughs> That's always the classic question. Yes. I mean, it should be Lao. But of course, I think um, some North Americans say Laos. Mm. I think some Brits and Europeans say Laos because there is that F S mm -hmm. there at the end. I think that's a legacy of the French. You know, they like to drop their silent S bombs okay. <laughs> at the end of words. And that one caught us out. So it, it should be Lao. And it's I think it's Lao PDR, which, of course, mm. is famous cliche, but... It's actually People's Democratic Republic, but most people say it should be Please Don't Rush because it's a very chilled out place. <laughs> How is Laos really different, say, neighbors, Cambodia or Thailand? If people go there, sometimes they think they think it's going to look the same, the people are going to be the same, the food is going to be the same. What makes it distinct from its neighbors, Nick? Yeah, I mean, for me, there's a there's a very Lao approach to life. I mean, it's, you know, it's dangerous to generalize about countries, but I find Lao particularly and peculiarly laid back. You know, I mean, the, the, the French back in their day in Andoshin, the, the colony of Indochina, which was years ago and thankfully over, of course, in, in this new world. But they had this, this sort of saying or phrase that the Vietnamese planted the rice, the Cambodians tended the rice, and the Lao listened to it grow. <laughs> and that kind of is nice in a way because, you know, you go into shops in Luang Prabang, like, you know, a silk store or an emporium. 
and you kind of have to find the seller and knock on the door and wake them up you know they're not they're not particularly aggressive sellers they're not particularly heavily commercial they're just very warm welcoming friendly people and that makes it a great country to be in you know you're really welcomed as almost family or, or friends and it's it's just an amazing experience and I think that you know because of the small population over quite a large area you know they're really it makes uh, you know they've, they've got sort of more breathing space more living room and that just you know they, they there's just a nice relationship with the environment that's perhaps under more pressure in the neighboring countries yeah i find the same thing i think the lao people are incredibly friendly and uh you know i grew up in in rural america in vermont and, and laos has a lot of uh, a similar vibe as vermont cambodia as well especially because of all the dirt roads and and that reminded me of one of my biggest takeaways from traveling laos is how challenging it can be to get around the country because they don't have incredibly well-developed infrastructure. Uh, lots of mountains. Uh, the buses are qu- relatively old. The uh, questionable road safety. Yeah. But I haven't been traveling around the country in quite a while. So has Laos made any major improvements to their infrastructure? Or has it been easier to get around to, to places beyond Luang Prabang and Vientiane? And, and what are some of those places that you recommend getting to? Yeah, I mean, in terms of infrastructure in Laos, it, it is tricky because it's so mountainous. So for example, you know, you've got these going out to like Ponsavan Plain of Jars, going out to Vieng Sai and the incredible Pathet Lao caves out there. It's just endless like winding hairpin bends. It's not, not for the sensitive of stomach and travel sick. Um, but they are getting better. I mean, the roads are generally surfaced. And, you know, if you're going in a, a four-wheel drive or, or a sturdy van or you, you're happy to travel by motorbike, it's a great country for motorbiking if you're willing to take a scooter or a dirt bike. Um, there are still problems. You know, there are obviously it's a big country and very spread out. So there are still some quite bad roads. And obviously in the wet season, it can become more difficult to get around. I mean, the big news story in terms of infrastructure is not wholly positive shall we say it's the famous Chinese high-speed railway which is coming from Kunming to Bangkok passing a town near you in the near future I saw some of that under construction when I was working on the Lao Lonely Planet um, in summer 19 so about 18 months ago that that was incredible because I I realized of course knowing the terrain of Lao that there would have to be an inordinate number of tunnels what I hadn't realized is that in the in between the tunnels it would be elevated so when it's going through the paddy fields and and the valleys it's up on stilts because it has to be level it's got to be level yeah. so that's just incredible and these some of these pillars are like 10 15 meters tall so this is no simple infrastructure project this yeah. is like a modern miracle and i'm not sure lao's quite ready for it you know you can imagine the sort of kind of hamong farmers getting their yeah. buffalo across you know right when, when's time <laughs> when's the next train coming well at least that's a good thing then if it's elevated they can cross under it it's that's not true. interfering yeah it's but like- again like we we're talking about lao is like this incredibly rural place like in vang viang even like it's spectacularly beautiful the mountains and the river and everything to, to see like some high-speed train is going to be incredibly uh, contrast yeah, it will be if contrast. you think of like the iconic shots of the bullet train passing in front of Mount Fuji you're going to have that kind of incredible thing yeah of all the cast limestone behind and this sort of high-speed express but you know they're talking about you know journey times of something ridiculous like sort of 30 minutes from Luang Prabang to Vang Vieng because you know it's just it's going to go if it stops will it stop that, that's true. Not maybe the expresses won't stop. Yeah. I think they'll all stop at Wang Prabang and Vieng Chan. But yeah, whether yeah. they stop at the intermediate places. You mentioned traveling around my motorcycle. Uh, a friend of ours, Andrea, who lives up in Long Prabang, she's frequently seen on Instagram with her motorbike. So, is that a, like one of the best ways to get around the country? You think to see some of these less uh, explored areas? Yeah, I mean, I would say it is because you know even around 
more popular places like Luang Prabang. You've got great small trails, you know, you've got village trails, you've got some really nice stuff. I mean, for me, it's the kind of freedom. You know, when I, there's a famous backpacker circuit in central Laos that's referred to as the loop. It was made famous by a colleague of mine at Lonely Planet, Andrew Burke, who wrote about it. But it's basically anything from two to four days from Takek around through that river cave, Tam Kong Law, and beautiful scenery. And so backpackers, you know, jump on a scooter. If they're more experienced, they jump on a dirt bike. But, you know, I remember doing that for Central Lao, for the for the Lao guidebook, a few years ago. And, you know, I'd done a lot of motorbiking in Southeast Asia, but it was stunning because that endless cast limestone scenery is just magical. You know, it's like Halong Bay on land, mm. and you're getting payoff after payoff. And, you know, you're just going on very low traffic volume roads. So it, it feels quite safe. You know, as long as you're riding carefully and sensibly at a good mm. speed, you've got villages, you've got guest houses, you've got homestays. You know, it just, I don't know, it, it just brings you closer to the community and the environment. You, you know, it's like there's a sense of television when you're traveling by car or minivan. You've always got a window between you and what's happening. When you're on a motorbike, you get the smell, the senses the noises the waves and, you, and it's much easier to stop you know you're in full control you decide that you see a nice looking sugarcane stall on the side of the road or perhaps something not so nice like guinea pigs for sale you know you get the chance yeah but those stop. interactions with the local people are one of the charms of, of the country exactly it's the magic you've just shared a ton of really rich experiences but Thinking back to just the 10th edition of the Lao guidebook you mentioned you were researching about 18 months ago what favorite experience or was there something that really stood out on that particular trip from all the others oh yes favorite experiences on guidebook uh it's it's very difficult i mean i think for me the one place that's very special is uh, the vieng sai caves um you know which was where the pathet lao the the, the uh, lao communists when they were fighting the civil war in the in the late 60s and early 70s they basically made it their rebel hq from 1964 to 1973 mm-hmm. so it's right up in the northeast corner of lao and it was basically this secret underground city so if you think a lot of people in the world know about the Kuchi tunnels where the vietnamese dug underground right. and, and hid from the americans near their bases what they don't know is that the lao were equally ingenious but they did this they they carved it in stone and they moved into these caves and they had a capital of 20,000 people there for nine years you know they they had visiting philharmonic orchestra from east germany down the ho chi minh trail cuban dancers you know this this was the alternative communist capital and you go there and it's perfectly preserved because unlike the kuchi tunnels which are somewhat reconstructed and of course a lot of the wood the bamboo has dissolved into history because they're in a cave environment everything's perfectly preserved so you've got you know kind of uh Don, who the name of the communist leader so you know you've got parts of his areas you've got um the red prince uh, supanavong you've got his house and bedroom so it's really a moment preserved in time and it's so remote and so beautiful yeah i'm looking at a map here right now Nick just pointed it out to me inside the Lonely Planet book, which I should probably get signed, even though it's a, I think it's a photocopy from Kaosan Road. But uh, <laughs> um, but it just reminded me that uh, the location of this is quite interesting. So we're going to have on our show notes, as usual, a Google map so that people can see where uh, Nick is talking about. That's pretty interesting. Is there is Do they make a kind of museum about it, the way the Vietnamese are really good about preserving their history? But it is a really um, exceptional destination because it's so important to the, uh, the party. So what they have done is that you, they've created a tour and actually working with a, a very experienced Australian company, Narrowcasters, who also do the Killing Fields tour in Cambodia and so on. They've actually created a stunning audio tour. So you go round and you've got your headset and you go into the caves and you're basically hearing, you know, point one, point two, mm. point three. And I, I always remember being at the Red Prince's 
house and cave because what happened was they lived in the caves until 1973 when the US bombing stopped then they moved out of the caves and started building houses and each one followed their character so the Red Prince had quite a nice sort of French style mm. colonial pad and I remember they, there's a brilliant moment as you walk out of there and they're talking about the bombing on the uh, audio track and, and then they play like a Jimi Hendrix track huh. and you know it's just like whoa <laughs> but you know it's, it's really well done so I think it's a very remote destination and to go out there and back from Luang Prabang or Vientiane is very challenging because of the roads. Yeah. However, if you're an independent traveler or a backpacker and you're going from Hanoi to Luang Prabang, rather than take a 24-hour bus from hell, break it up. Travel slowly. So that, that border up there is, is open to international travel. Exactly. You've got to get your visas beforehand, I'm yeah. sure, because both get, countries exactly. are kind of strict about that type of thing. Very true. Um, but yeah, this will be really good uh, information to, to look at on the show notes. So otherwise, like I had no idea about this destination in Laos, and, and I've spent quite a bit of time in Laos, and I've written about it as well. But uh, so why do you think, I mean, aside from the obvious that like Thailand is such a huge attraction and Vietnam is a huge attraction, why is Laos so unknown, do you think, as a tourist destination at least? Because it is beautiful. Yeah, no, it's stunning. I think, yeah, I think the landlocked factor is always going to limit tourists mm. because it doesn't have beaches and coast. And, you know, if you're coming as far as Southeast Asia from cold America or mm. cold Britain or cold Europe, you're going to want to pay off of a beach at some point. Um, I think also the fact that it was, you know, certainly in the 90s when tourism was was already big in Southeast Asia, it was it was quite enigmatic and quite conservative about how many people, you know, they, they kind of a lot of stop start in terms of opening. Mm. And you had, I think there was an incident where there were some Buddhas disappeared from the Paku Caves in 94. They closed the borders for some months for tourists. And, you know, so I think it's, yeah, it's for, for a lot of people, it's not even well known as a country. Yeah. You know, what is Laos? Is, they is don't it, even know it's there. They don't even realize it's yeah. there. So I think for backpackers, it's got a kind of cult status yeah. and it's known as the cool place to be. And they've got Be Allowed t shirts and <laughs> Vang Vieng became very popular. Yeah. But for higher end tourists on tours, Mm. Um, you know, tends to be Vietnam and Thailand that draws them first, and then Angkor will draw them second as as an add-on. So Laos is only really for those that have already done their homework and done their research and want to go to Luang Prabang. Yeah, and personally, I thought that was always a good thing. I, I appreciated, like, I went to Laos for some respite, for some peace, you know, and and for some quiet and relaxation, just because it's such a beautiful, warm and friendly place. Yeah, yeah no, definitely. I mean, it really is. I mean, I, everywhere I've been, I've always found that you know the people are really welcoming, and you know, I've met Lao friends in different areas through the work and Lao guides, and yeah, just everywhere you go, they always want to invite you to their home. Mm. You know, come, we're having a barbecue tonight, or it's my birthday, and. Yeah. You're an outsider, but you're always welcome. And that, that you know, that that's kind of characterizes Southeast Asia as a whole, but particularly Lao, where they really do, they, they welcome strangers as their own. Really interesting. Nick, do you have any idea how many tourists per year are typically going to Lao in the last couple of years? No, I mean, I, I don't, I, I mean, you'd probably have to do a fact check, but off the top of my head, it was probably moving up to something like... Um, 2 million or something. I mean, Cambodia's normally on about, was nearly 5 million before the pandemic. Wow. I think Laos was, yeah, around about 2 million. Okay. Um, obviously, most of those going to Luang Prabang or Vieng Chan. And once you look at the rest of the country and some of these remote areas, you're talking really a handful or a trickle. Thinking about that then, Nick, and this puts you on the spot, but someone has 10 days to travel Laos and they don't need to go to Vientiane or Luang Prabang. What's the trip? Can you walk us through a 10-day trip not with Luang Prabang or Vientiane. No, okay. Well, what I'd say is obviously given airports and so on, you probably have to go through one of them. Okay. But okay, sure. taking up your challenge, I would cross <laughs> in from the Golden Triangle up in North 
the far northeast of Thailand, and I would um, go down the river, follow the river trip for a couple of okay. days through Pak Beng, briefly stop in Luang Prabang because it's a transit point to elsewhere. I would then go out through uh, Nong Kior, very beautiful scenery and trekking, and I would head out to what I mentioned, Vieng Sai, the caves up in the far northeast to discover that Pathet Lao history. And then I would circle back round to uh, Ponsavan and the Plain of Jars to discover the, the history there as well and these incredible incredible burial jars where the remains of uh, an older civilization were found. And again, then it's you know down to uh, Vang Vieng, uh, which is en route to Vieng Chan. You'd probably have to skip through Vieng Chan just because of transit hub and so on. But yes, there's not necessarily need to stay. And then the best couple of destinations as you go further south, there's the uh, the caves around Takek I mentioned, where you can do the loop by motorcycle mm-hmm. down in uh, south central Laos. And then, of course, uh, the place that you mentioned earlier, Sipandon or 4,000 Islands, where you can get very mellow on the Mekong. You've just shared enough names to keep any of us busy for two 10-day trips. So perfect. That's what I was hoping you could do for me. Sorry, I was just looking at the map there and uh, getting lost a little bit. Just because, again, like, I mean, it's a relatively large country. It's probably geographically similar in size to Cambodia, wouldn't you say? Except not the shape. Yeah. Yeah. It's just stretched, stretched out a bit long ways. along the Mekong River for the most part, for those people who aren't familiar. But again, very mountainous country, a lot of beautiful countryside. So I imagine like just exploring again, just wouldn't that be a great way to spend 10 days? Just get a motorbike and go from Luang Prabang and just head out and <laughs> explore yeah. a bit. Like again, there's not a lot of hotels here and there in some of these more remote areas. But as you mentioned, like I've had friends who have gotten lost in Laos and got invited to just live with people for a while. And uh, no, exactly, yeah. it happens. I mean, I was doing a trip. I was doing a Top Gear Vietnam, mm. and it sounds like I'm going on a tangent, but very briefly, <laughs> yeah. when it originally, when Top Gear Vietnam was uh, conceived, it was meant to be the three countries of Indochina: Cambodia, Laos, and Vietnam, and it was going to be cars not motorbikes. It was going to be an American car, a Russian car, and a French car. And I did this whole scout through the old, some of the old uh, trails in Laos. And I was going from uh, Salavan, trying to go through the old Red Prince's Highway where there's a bombed out bridge and things, and took dirt bikes. And of course, uh, eventually lost the trail. Dirt bikes ran into trouble, and we ended up stuck in a village. And, you know, the village in the middle of nowhere. But yeah, we knocked on a kind of family's door at 10 p.m., out of food, out of water. Yeah, come and you're welcome to join us. You've woken us up. Have sticky rice. Have rice wine. You're our best friends. And it's just amazing to think, that you know, imagine if you went and knocked on a door in rural England or rural America. You're in big trouble. Yeah, it might be all right. You know, I don't know. But yeah, Laos is special like that. So before we started recording, Nick and I were talking about our experiences in the country. And I haven't been there. I mean, I went to Wat Pu a few years ago, but to like northern and central Laos and, and quite a long time. And oh, 10 years probably. And I know that it's changed quite a lot now that it's become quite a bit more popular. So what do you think Lao tourism is going to be like 10 years from now? A crystal ball. Well, it's hard to really say, but I, I tell you, Luang Prabang um, obviously is the, you know, the kind of uh, golden goose, the, the destination that everyone goes to. I think that's doing a really good job because of the UNESCO status. So it's really preserved the character of the old town. To it really is. And that, that hasn't changed much. I mean, yes, there's more cafes, there's more restaurants, mm-hmm. there's more boutique hotels, but in essence, it still feels like it always did. The, the other thing is because of the growth in tourism, there's a lot more in terms of activities around Luang Prabang. Mm-hmm. So you've got things like, you know, zip lines you've got um, new parks opening botanical gardens you know so there are there's a bigger offer if you like you've got you know not so far away near Sayaburi the elephant conservation center so the the, the kind of magnetic 
pull of, of Luang Prabang is creating a lot more around it. I think that the challenge will be what happens when the railway opens. And that's not to be negative. We just don't know. But the fact is, if it becomes a mass tourism destination for, for Chinese, Chinese yeah. package tour groups, that can be dangerous, as we've seen at Angkor, as we've seen mm. at Chiang Mai. You know, the zero dollar tourism model, if that hits Lao like a juggernaut, that's really worrying. And uh, I don't know if Lao can withstand that because they've only got seven, seven and a half million people. And, you know, yeah. if you suddenly have an influx of millions of visitors from China, that culturally is is very, very uh, disturbing, very unbalancing. Yeah. Well, my, my example had always been that, uh, you know, Angkor and the Angkor temples are such a big attraction but everybody goes to the town and the town is no longer like charming, let's say, but, but it doesn't really matter because Angkor is the attraction. Whereas like Luang Prabang, the town itself is the attraction. And once that is full of millions of people, then the attraction itself is ruined. And that's always the fear that I yeah, had. So true. That's it. It combines both in a way that, yeah, Angkor, mm. you've got that separation, fortunately. Yeah. But I think, yeah, for Luang Prabang, it is more, it is more risky. And there is definitely a, a notable change in the suburbs. So you've got, you know, the good and the bad. The old town is preserved because of UNESCO. Further afield, more activities, but the suburbs are becoming a bit messy and there's bigger hotels developing and et cetera, et cetera. So no, it's, it, it is a challenge to balance the economic needs of obviously growing tourism, but at the same time protecting the very thing that originally drew tourists to the area. Wow, you've shared some just incredible stuff, Nick, and literally gotten me excited to go back for, I don't know what, the seventh or eighth time. But kind of getting towards the end of our chat here, what in a nutshell do you think is going to surprise visitors the most about Laos? Oh, I think um, that's that's a tough question. I would say, well, easy answer, beer Lao, one mm -hmm. of the best in the world. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of people haven't heard of it, but it, it's become the kind of backpacker beer of choice in Southeast Asia and has spread itself into Thailand and uh, Cambodia and sure. Vietnam. It's it's probably their, their biggest national export after electricity and a couple of other things. Mm -hmm. But um, no, I suppose more seriously, I guess... Um, as I said, the hospitality, the warmness of the people and the fact that they do uh, sort of invite you into their lives with, you know, even when you don't know them. And I think perhaps their their commitment to uh, faith, religion, Buddhism, you know, they're very, they're very, you know, you go to somewhere like the Wang Prabang and you see the, the offering and every morning, you know, the takbat, the, uh, when they give food to the monks, you know, it feels like a rites of passage for tourists, but it, it is genuine. It still exists. Yes, tourists can take part, but local people actually do that. And they do that dedic in, with dedication day after day. So I think the combination of sort of spirituality, kind of laid back welcome, and of course, a, a healthy dose of beer lao make it a fantastic place. <laughs> Excellent advice. All right. So on a parting note, maybe uh, I'm always a big fan of print and I always, it, I love print. Yes. Let's give a plug to the 10th edition of the Laos Lonely Planet. Uh, what's, what's new and different in this edition of the, the guidebook? Oh, uh, <laughs> it's probably what was new and different. Yeah. It may have all changed now. Well, not in the past year. Laos does change quite slowly as no, well. No, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Um, yeah, but, you know, the pandemic world, who knows? But we don't want to talk about that. Yeah. So, no, what, what was, I mean, I think really, um, from my point of view of what I saw, there were some great new restaurants opening up in Luang Prabang. Uh, you know, it's, um, as we said, Lao cuisine is excellent, but there were also kind of fusion restaurants and people trying new things. There's an amazing new bear sanctuary. So, originally, you had the, 
the Free the Bears area at the Quangsi Falls, but it it was very well done. But it wasn't that big. They've now opened a huge, you know, massive world class bear sanctuary, which is out uh, in a different location. And yeah, just just um, I think Luang Prabang is certainly uh, developing this really diverse offering, which means. Rather than go there for two or three days in the classic hit and run, people should really be considering going there for for five or six days and actually doing mountain biking, trekking, you know, basing things around Luang Prabang. Obviously, backpackers can travel further and wider, but, you know, certainly for tourists that have less time, let sometimes less is more and focus in Luang, Luang Prabang and uh, having a nice accommodation, nice restaurants nearby while doing some amazing activities is, is a pretty cool way to go. Yeah, again, it's kind of sad to send everybody right to Long Prabang, but it really is a special place. And uh, I think it's worth staying for a few days and then exploring abroad more. And again, I would recommend uh, taking Nick's advice for those explorations abroad, as he's given us some excellent tips for Myanmar on the last time he was on the show uh, and here in Cambodia as well. So thanks a lot for being on the show again, uh, Nick. Thanks for coming. And uh, for everyone else, if you want to go to TalkTravelAsia.com, uh, we'll have links to whatever recommendations uh, Nick has given us us and uh, a map uh, with some of these destinations that he's talked about. So thanks a lot for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much for having me, guys. Lots of fun. I so love having Nick on the show. This is the third time. And so often you find people that might write a great book or they're really knowledgeable, but they can't share that knowledge in a fun verbal way. And he just describes things so well. It has me excited to go to Laos again. Yeah, I had uh, Nick and I excited enough to go out for beer Lao after we finished recording that. So that was uh, that was fun. And he's right; they do make uh, probably the best commercial beer in the region. But definitely a lot of good tips there. And uh, you know, when I was looking at the map as he was showing us where to go, uh, and then you and I talked about it briefly in the intermission. Um, doing that motorcycle trip just looks like something awesome, just because it's such a beautiful country, and those mountains on a bike would just be pretty cool. Yeah, he named places that I've I've never known about, and then of course I get a Google. Google map out of Laos and I look and there's so much to to the uh, east of Luang Prabang and so much in the north and yeah Wieng Sai he mentioned that town near the Vietnamese border where 20,000 mm. people are living in limestone caves yeah. and then he talked about how beautiful the drive would be from Luang Prabang out there and then kind of going south and doing a loop and yeah when I look at the map it's just really mountainous and it it, it would be beautiful right he mentioned all the limestone mountains just all through that land there so yeah, suddenly that's seriously on my list. And then the Plain of Jars, which I'd known of, that kind of loop through there is very mountainous. And I, I would absolutely love to explore it by motorbike for a few days when, when we're able to. Yeah, absolutely. Again, just looking at a map and people can go to our website, uh, talktravelasia.com and have a look at the Google map that Nick helped us put together. But again, I'm looking at the Lonely Planet map here. Mm -hmm. And so it's not topographical, but like that road from Vientiane to Long Prabang and north is just north-south. There's no east-west road. And I just assumed because there's some massive mountains there so it looks like you know it's a loop from Luang Prabang right. to that Vieng Sai on the way to Vietnam probably just because it's so mountainous yeah yeah and then it looks like uh, once you're up at Vieng Sai if you continue east you hit Vietnam if you want to do a loop you've actually got to kind of double back a bit and then head south yeah. on a 1C like Laos does not have a ton of good navigable roads but yeah that gets me so excited and another thing you know looking at this map is people forget how long from north to south Laos is, right? It has a big, fat kind of northern bit. 
Then when you get down to the capital and head east, it gets quite narrow and goes way down, um, you know, south of Da Nang in Vietnam. So it is quite a long country. Like if you're going to get down to Sipandon in the south, it's a whole nother kind of trip. It's a flight or a rather long bus journey broken up by going to like Savannah Ket or somewhere, right? Yeah, it looks like it's like 750 kilometers mm. north to south. Even like, you know, I think just from Luang Prabang is right in the center of the north. You know, there's a long way up too. you know, like looking all the way up north there. It's a... Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. So, uh, yeah, so I think, uh, you know, Scott and I just did an episode recently about uh, our places we want to travel this year. And, uh, you know, Laos is uh, up there. If we can get that little bubble so we can travel within the region, I think uh, doing a motorcycle trip in Laos would be would be pretty freaking fun. Yeah. And the point that Nick kept coming back to, I think, when he was sharing so well, I could imagine the place is just kept coming back to the people, the people, the people, the people. You know, you have to kind of wake them up to buy their goods. They're willing to have you in their house. They'll give you food if you need, like, the people. So, yeah, it's high on my list again, and I'm just so thankful. Thanks for coming on again, Nick. You know, I'm going to buy The Lonely Planet even though I'm not going soon because I like reading the historical stuff in Lonely Planets and whatnot. So thanks to Nick to come on. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember, um, support us on Patreon. Search Talk Travel Asia on Patreon.com. A dollar a month upwards help keep this going. Trevor, they can like us too, right, or review us? Sure, they can do everything. You can do it all. You can even suggest what episodes you'd like to hear next. But otherwise, yeah, um, donate if you can. We'd really appreciate that. Every little bit counts. Uh, review. Uh, give us a rating on uh, whatever you're listening to this on Spotify or SoundCloud or iTunes. Um, and then go to our website and have a look at our show notes. And you will have links to Nick Ray on Twitter. The Lonely Planet interview, uh, the Laos guidebook, Hanuman Travel, Hanuman Films, all the cool stuff that Nick is up to. And then come back and visit us. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. So thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and Cambodia?